Thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to be here with you this evening. I and my husband uh, left 20 years ago with four small children. Uh, golly, that gets emotional. But when I talk, think about it, to live and to work among the Kurdish people, an unreached Middle Eastern group. Uh, we lived in Germany among the nearly one million Kurds uh, who were living there as asylum seekers, as well as being a part of a team that was working in the Middle East, planning a church. After we felt God calling us to return back to the United States and to Texas, uh, God opened the door for us to begin working among refugees in Texas. CBF, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, is a group of Baptist Christians of about 1,800 churches who share a passion for missions and ministry. The fellowship strives to serve individuals and congregations as they discover and fulfill their God-given mission. CBF Global Missions is committed to cultivating beloved community by building communities of reconciliation and hospitality, bearing witness to Jesus Christ and inviting others to faith in him, and seeking transformational development through the transformation of systems that suppress individuals and communities from being what God has created them to be. It's a holistic approach to ministry, which seeks not only to meet the spiritual needs, but also to meet the emotional and physical needs. Today, CB CBF excuse me, has around 100 field personnel that serve in various ministries throughout the world. The Global Missions Offering, which your church also gives to funds myself and those others as we minister around the world. We serve in the areas of global poverty, global migration, and the global church. We're involved in church planning, community development, working with youth that have been child soldiers, educational ministries with preschools, schoolers and children, medical ministries, agricultural work, drilling water wells, HIV AIDS ministry, ministering to victims of human trafficking, street children, refugees, the urban poor, and those living in generational poverty. It's an incarnational ministry where we seek to be the presence of Christ in the lives of those without hope. Through relationship, we share the love and the good news of Jesus Christ. We couldn't be involved in these ministries without you. Your prayers encourage and sustain us, and your generous gifts to the Offering for Global Missions enable us to physically be the hands and the feet of Christ. Thank you for partnership and ministry. I serve as part of the internationals team, which ministers to internationals whom have left their country of origin or birth and now are living in the United States. These people may be immigrants, refugees, international students in academic settings, business people, survivors of human trafficking, or even the undocumented. Even though we work in, Nor in North America itself, we serve people literally from all over the world. God is literally bringing the nations to us. Today, we are experiencing what has been referred to as the greatest migration of people 
ever in the history of the world. And it's all a part of God's plan. You shouldn't have looked at me. I'm sorry. There are over 232 million migrants in the world. 59 million displaced people and 20 million refugees. And it's all a part of God's plan. Many of the internationals coming to the United States today are from countries which we have limited access to with traditional Christian witness. But while these people are in the United States, there is an opportunity for open witness. God has given the church an unprecedented opportunity to be a part of his redemptive plan and his redemptive story to restore hope and bear good news to the nations on our doorsteps. If we reach them with the gospel here, they will take the good news back to their own people. You won't find the word refugee in the Bible, but you will find refugees. Beginning in Genesis, with the creation story, we see that all people have been created in the image of God. All people, not just those who look like us, speak the same language, or worship as we do. All people have been created with gifts and potential and should be treated with respect and dignity. They are creations of a sovereign God, valued and loved by Him. As we move into the Old Testament, we see that Abraham, Joseph, and Moses were refugees before God delivered his people into the promised land. The Israelites were instructed in Exodus, do not oppress a foreigner living in your country, but treat them just as you treat your own citizens. Oops, I just combined two. Let me start again that verse. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourself know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. Then he goes on in Leviticus to say, do not mistreat the foreigners living in your country, but treat them just as you treat your own citizens. Love foreigners as you love yourselves. We're commanded to love the foreigner as we love ourselves, What does that look like in today's world? Is our love expressed in building walls, creating a moratorium on issuing visas to Muslims, blocking the resettlement of Syrian refugees? How will your love look? Also, there were laws about how the foreigner could participate in Judaism. God opened the most precious part of the Jewish culture and faith to the foreigner, allowing them to convert to Yahweh. In the New Testament, in Matthew 2, we see Joseph being uh, instructed to flee with Mary and the baby Joseph to Egypt to escape Herod's infanticide. They lived there as refugees until it was safe to return to Israel. Later, in Matthew 25, Jesus was asked, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in, 
are needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In Luke 10, Jesus was asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. The Jews were to submit their whole being to God, not just their hearts, but also their hands, in love and in service to others. God does not show partiality, nor should we. As a church, our first step is to serve, and to do that not so that they become Christians, but because we are Christian. Who is our neighbor? Jesus responded with what we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man is beaten, robbed, and left for dead on his way to Jericho. First, a religious leader, a priest, walks by on the other side of the road, not wishing to hinder his ministry by becoming ceremonially unclean through contact with blood, or in today's terms, get involved in a mess that would affect his ministry. Second, a Levi who assists the priest in his duties. Perhaps a modern-day lay leader of the church again passes by without rendering aid. Scripture doesn't give a reason for not helping, just that he didn't. Our reasons today could be many. Time, religious commitments, distance, lack of interest, or it's not my gifting or my call. Lastly, a Samaritan, a foreigner, a half-breed, did stop and render aid. He became personally involved in pouring oil over the wounds and bandaging them. Then he placed him on his donkey, took him to an inn, and personally cared for the injured man. The next day, he pays the innkeeper and tells them upon his return, if there are any additional fees, he would be more than happy to pay those as well. The Samaritan acted with compassion and treated the injured man with love as he would have desired himself to be treated. Jesus then asked the religious leader, who was the neighbor to the injured man? Or who proved to be a good neighbor by his actions? Jesus replied, go and do the same. Christ himself exhorts us to welcome the stranger and love our neighbors as ourselves. We didn't find the word refugee in the Bible, but we did find refugees and God's concern for the foreigners. Time and time again, God has taken the tragedy of forced migration and used it to work out his purposes. Refugees are people living outside of their country of origin who cannot return 
due to fear of persecution based upon their race, their religion, their ethnic group, or membership in a particular political or social group. Refugees come to the United States seeking safety, security, and hope for a better future for their families. It's a long and perilous journey, which doesn't end when they arrive here. The journey continues for several more years as they learn a new language, culture, and how to navigate life here. They need us to be their cultural guides and their friends. The limited services provided by our government through the resettlement agencies are insufficient, but Christians and churches have unlimited resources and untapped potential to act as the body of Christ and help the refugees not only survive, but thrive here. Since 1975, the United States has resettled over 3 million refugees. In 2016, the United States will resettle 85,000 refugees, and in 2017, we project to have 100,000 refugees. These are, the majority of the groups are coming from countries such as Burma, Iraq, Somalia, Congo, Burundi, Sudan, Eritrea, and now a small number coming out of Syria. The reality is those that are fleeing today are not the ones we will resettle tomorrow. Many of the refugees I work with have been 20 plus years living in refugee camps. My ministry is simple. It is simple because it involves sharing everyday life moments, life experiences, and simply being a friend. Cooking together, trying new foods, discussing practical issues such as where to buy groceries, where to get medical care, or how to renew their child's Medicaid. We mourn losses and celebrate special events such as the birth of children. My ministry includes uh, English as Second Language classes, helping refugees find jobs, building a partnership that brings a mobile food pantry to the area which they live in, developing a preschool readiness class for non-English speaking children and their parents, and working with an Iraqi women's group in an Iraqi women's Bible study. It's a learning and growing together. It is healing. It restores dignity and hope. It is a walking alongside refugees, being their friend while sharing with them the love of Christ. It's life transforming. I wanted to tell you just briefly about one of the couple's uh, families that I work with. Mikael and his wife, Basima, are from northern Iraq, from the city of Mosul. They're ethnic Christians. Uh, he is a PhD physicist trained in Germany and taught for 20 years in the University of Mosul. Uh, after uh, Saddam fell, his life and the life of his family were threatened and they were told they would leave or would be killed. They fled to Syria. They were there several years before being resettled in the United States. Since coming to the U.S., his credentials, as most refugees, are not recognized. Uh, spent years trying to retrain, I guess, and get recertification to teach. 
currently is teaching a uh, junior high science class. Uh, substitute teaching is all that he's been able to do. But a wonderful, wonderful family. His children, I want to sh- tell us as a story of hope. His children, he had four children when he got here. Uh, they have now, one of them graduated last year with a degree in computer science, one this year in engineering. The third daughter is pre-med at this point, and his son, the youngest, he's 18 now, just got a full scholarship to Texas Christian University for four years, full ride. They knew no English when they arrived, but seven years later, they're United States citizens. And this, two years ago, this summer, I sat in their home as, literally wept with them, as ISIS had just come into their village, where they're from, dropped a bomb, killed two of his nephews, and stripped the family of everything, and they literally marched them out. His family, or their families, were literally living in the streets in Erbil. And they said, where is God? Where is God in all of this? But God was there, provided for his family. This past Tuesday, one of their sisters and their families, two years later, arrived here in the United States. God did remember them. It's very difficult. His is a story, theirs is a story of success. But their, their families and the families of most refugees I serve do, do not have the same opportunities that they have, and they suffer greatly. But at the same point in time, we can see God's hand and what he's done in their lives and how he's going to use them in the future. I ask you today, who is your neighbor? How can you be a part of welcoming the foreigner in our land? Refugees are not merely beautiful faces. They have names. Sana, Nabia, Hanin, Nashuan, Bishnu, Ebenezer, Muda, Sase. They're beautiful. They are sacred. They are His. Today as a nation, we are facing some very challenging situations as we seek national security. Fear is turning to hatred, bigotry, racial and religious intolerance. As Christians, we should stand for religious freedom. The same freedom some are trying to limit will someday limit us as Christians if we're not careful. Those who are calling for a database to track religious minorities, those other than us, the foreigner, and for preventing Muslims from traveling in and out of the country, those actions are not only un constitutional, but unchristian. If we as Christians do not speak up, who will? If we as Christians choose the path of hatred instead of love, then we ourselves will incite more acts of violence in the name of radical Islam. Will we be Christ followers? Will we stand for the oppressed and the persecuted?
As Henry Nouwen said, those who, those who choose, even on a small scale, to love in the midst of hatred and fear are people who offer true hope to our world. Will you choose to be a people of hope to your neighbors and welcome the foreigners living among you?